This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. So student loan debt, check it out, everyone. We've talked about this before, sitting at nearly $1.7 trillion. As a parent who has spent the last year going through the college application process with my high school senior, I've been really looking forward to talking with our next guest. Um, so I know kind of what my money will get for me. Uh, and my daughter, more importantly, Ron Lieber is the Your Money columnist at the New York Times. He writes about personal finance for the Times, before that at the Wall Street Journal, my alma mater. His new book is The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. Ron joins us on the phone from Brooklyn. Um, Ron, great to have you here with Tim and myself. Um, Welcome, welcome. So tell us about this book, what you set out to do, what you wanted to find out and kind of peel back the layers of this process. Sure. So this is a book that was born of a problem in my inbox. Each spring I was hearing from otherwise sophisticated people, successful ones who run organizations in New York City that you've probably heard of, who felt like they'd been run over by a freight train when they got to the end of this and realized that they had no idea how the levers of discounting were being pulled, not just for people with demonstrated financial need, um, but for affluent people who were getting discount offers anyway. And they just had no idea. And this went on spring after spring. And I finally realized, wow, um, I not only need to explain this to people, but we also need a better set of questions for parents who are trying to figure out whether, you know, Princeton is $200,000 better than Rutgers or Mount Holyoke is $2,000 better than UMass. Uh, We just needed a better set of questions and we needed uh, answers from the schools and the data that they do not like to give up. Ron, um, I didn't graduate from college that long ago, but it's like my alma mater is like almost twice as expensive as it was when I graduated back in, what, 2006. How, how does this happen? Well, there are a couple things going on here, right? There are list prices, right? Retail prices, the rack rate, like the, uh, the price tag you see on the back of the hotel room door. And then there's the price that everybody is paying, right? And so mm. on the whole, something like 89% of all undergraduates nationwide get some kind of a discount. It's either through need-based aid or this so-called merit aid that comes regardless of your ability to need, uh, you know, to pay, and, and may in fact have nothing to do with your grade and SAT scores are very little. Um, so, you know, it gets complicated, but the farther you go up the food chain to the most selective publics and privates, the more likely it is that people are paying full price. And at some of these institutions, as many as 60, 65% of the families are paying full price. So, what 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 seems so crazy to me, Ron, is why don't we just mark the price like it should be? Because <laughs> I feel like we're on this crazy like hamster trail, like kind of you know, um, and it's just schools have to raise a lot of money for their endowment, and people have to donate a lot of money for it, and I feel like the cost of the school has just gone on. And like, there's just this weird thing that's going on. Why don't we just set the price as it is what, you know, what we're getting and, and maybe it would make it more affordable that you wouldn't need to have so much um, need-based aid go out. 
Yeah, you know, I wish it was simpler, right? But we're generally talking about two different kinds of schools, right? We're talking about the public ones and Mm. the private ones. And then the private ones themselves get subdivided because there are, you know, private super selective schools that do have endowments that throw off a fair amount of income each year. But then there's a whole mess of private colleges and universities that are extremely tuition driven. And they don't have endowments that throw off enough money to, you know, support the institution. And so there's a, a, a transfer going on of, you know, higher income, higher um, price tag people subsidizing the lower price tag people. Right. And so, you know, you ask about this notion of a tuition reset, right? Why don't they just lower the price if everybody's getting a discount anyway? So that would pose two problems. First of all, there is this theory in the higher education marketplace known as the Chivas Regal effect that's based on a legend that may not even be true that at one point in the past Chivas Regal tripled its price and quadrupled its sales overnight. And so these schools Mm. feel like if they lower their list prices that people will think less of them. And then at just about every school, though not all of them, there are a few people who still pay full price, uh, particularly international families or just the, you know people domestically who are just like thanking their lucky stars that their kid got their act together and they're happy to write a check of any right. size, right? right? You lose that revenue. You lose Wait. that incremental revenue if you lower the list price. I'm still having trouble, Ron, getting my head around the, the, the question, why college tuition has grown so much more quickly than inflation? especially over the last 30 years? Sure. Well, let's start with the state institutions. So what's going on there is the subsidies from the state legislatures have fallen in the last big recession in 08, 09, 2010. They just cut this to the, to the bone. And the easiest thing for the state universities to do uh, to make up the difference is to you know, raise the prices to the people who live in the state and also to try and attract more people from out of state and charge them even more. With the privates, it's a little bit different. And what they said to me over and over again when I was in um, you know, the office of these presidents demanding the same information that you're demanding from me, they said, look, what do you want us to do? Right? 65 to 70 percent of our costs are Professors, administrators, and staff. And, you, you know, if you believe the Wall Street Journal editorial page, we, we, we've got an administrative bloat problem here because of all of the regulations. But the regulations come from the legislators that we all vote for at the ballot box. And we as parents want our kids taken care of. We do want our kids with mental health issues and disabilities to be able to access these institutions. We want our daughters um, on the ice hockey, uh, you know, uh, in the ice hockey rink the same way that the guys are. And to keep track of all of this stuff and and um, make sure that all students are well served and equally served does require trained people and they are not cheap. Wow. Okay. Well, that's interesting. There are a lot of reasons. It wasn't, it's not because they need to mow the lawn. You know, most of these institutions are not growing that much geographically. And so, you know, the lawn only costs so much. Now, things like lazy rivers and climbing walls, these have become sort of like totems and boogeymans, um, you know, for people who think college spending is out of control. But this is the manner in which our kids have become accustomed, right? I mean, many high schools have climbing walls now, and we're the ones who take kids on vacations to places that have lazy rivers. And, and really, there's only a couple dozen lazy rivers in all of higher education. So, I, you know, it, it makes for a nice headline and a funny talking point, but these are not the reasons why college costs a lot of money. 
But I want to go back to what you said, because I do think that there is a belief in this society in many ways that the higher something costs, the better it is. And we definitely apply it to education. So what's your, what's your advice to parents who, you know, I just went through this with my daughter, you know, and the thing is, doesn't feel like that there's many cheap schools, inexpensive schools out there anymore. But what's your advice as someone goes through this process with their with their student? Well, I'd start by ignoring the list price altogether, the retail price. You've got to determine if your family is going to have any financial need as defined by the financial aid office. You've got to determine if the schools that you're interested in do any discounting on the basis of what they refer to as merit, which, you know, may have something to do with the grades and the SAT score, but a lot of other things, you know, in your kid's portfolio and look at what the, you know, the average net price is, right? Um, and so that may not blow your mind quite as much, but it is true that there are plenty of people out there making choices between $300,000 schools and $100,000 schools over four years. And there you've got to ask basic questions about what college is for, right? Is your kid there for the education because they want to get into a you know top five marine biology PhD program? Um, are they there because they want to be in line uh, at Y Combinator or Kleiner Perkins at the age of 24 for startup money? If that's your goal, you may need a $300,000 school, um, but, you know, it just depends on, on the kid and what they intend to do with themselves while they're there. Um, you know, it sounds like the system is a little broken, Ron. What do you think? I mean, well, do, do we need to change I, this? This is a this is a lot of money. So here's the thing, right? You know, my role at the New York Times and what I consider to be my role in life is just to help people work within the system as it exists and beat it when necessary. But I'm all for breaking it. Uh, the problem is, um, you know, I, I have no beef with, with people who think this is all ridiculous, right? Um, there's so much complexity built into our personal financial lives, and so this just seems like a natural, logical extension of that. Um, but how exactly would we dismantle this and with what political will um you know we can you know we can barely uh you know we can barely get it in a situation in washington where even ten thousand dollars of loan debt is you know cancelable or forgivable i mean that's going to end up being controversial so free college for all free college for people who have under one hundred fifty thousand dollars in household income you know, it's a it's a debate that I think that we should have, but I just feel like politically we're we're pretty far from getting there on a nationwide basis, and, and so I'm just trying to help people navigate the system as it exists. All right. So, two things that somebody should do when they're working with their kids for college. I think you should start early with the savings if you possibly can, so that you have more choices, and then I think you need to be um, emotionally honest with yourself with your spouse if you have one, and definitely with your ex if you've got one of those, um, about, um, you know, the, the fear that you have about the process, um, the guilt you may have, uh, any snobbery or elitism that may be at play, um, and that'll help you make sort of clear decisions. And then get everybody together, including your 14-year-old after eighth grade, and have an honest conversation about what you think you'll be able to pay and what you might be willing to pay or borrow and what the difference between those two things might be because in my reporting that was the most interesting part of the market where schools realized that people with the ability to pay no longer had the willingness to pay these crazy list prices and yeah. that's where the bargains are to be had that's really interesting and, and what type of schools are those typically 
Well, I, you know, imagine a combined list of all undergraduate institutions in America ranked roughly by selectivity. Right. And so if you start at slot 40 or 50 or 60 or so, that's where the action starts. Huh. Um, because people are still willing to pay full price for Northwestern. They're willing right. to pay full price for Carleton College, but they're not willing to pay full price for Oberlin uh, in many instances. And right. they're not willing to pay full price uh, you know, for schools like it, right? So right there, right, right there is the sweet spot where they're starting to throw $20,000 coupons at 17-year-olds. Got it. Yeah, well, it's different from the reach, the target, the safety list that <laughs> most you sound kids very, are You sound like you know that with. very well right now, Carol. <laughs> oh, my God, do I know it well. Um, Ron, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ron Lieber is the Your Money columnist over at the New York Times. His new book, The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. School is three, four times what it cost me yeah and like you know what i'm saving right now for little arlo the two-year-old have him just design something i know (laughs) (laughs) a child actor that's what he'll be oh that's also works